2: Hear that podcast
1: growling, mean and angry. Hear those co hosts shouting.
0: Presenting sponsor for today's episode of Hear That Podcast, Growlin' is Visa, a network for everyone. Welcome in, pauline Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic here with you. Happy to be here as we uh, enter Steelers week coming off the loss to the Bears. How are we doing, Jay?
2: Doing well. Quite, quite a different feeling this week than last week.
0: Oh, yeah. Just, this, the, the pitchforks are out, right? Yeah. I mean, we knew this is what it was going to be. Right. I mean, the first loss, the first bad offensive game, it's going to be a lot of people mad, screaming and yelling. It's going to be a lot. of. It's going to be a fire. The coach here after every L. I mean, I mean, it's been fire. It was kind of fire. The coach almost after the first win.
2: Yeah, I thought the coach would be Lou, though, that they wanted fired. And that's not <laughs> been the case at all. We will dig into that, uh, which,
0: uh, Jay, you have. Uh, a story up from Sunday on the defense and uh, some more on that uh, in your final thoughts and some other interesting things in your final thoughts, including some Jamar Chase history. I want to we're going to dig into a little bit, actually, some really interesting early statistics happening with the Bengals that I think speak to some grander themes that we need to touch on, including uh, a really fascinating one. So we've got this is behind the scenes. We, we have a new statistics company that we're kind of working with this year at the athletic, and it is awesome it (laughs) it has everything you could ever imagine every filter you could ever think for a game broken down almost immediately after i'm having so much fun playing with it because i can uncover things like i stumbled onto uh after uh, writing the story that post posted tuesday Uh, on the running game and it was fascinating look to exactly where the Bengals are inefficient and what is killing them right now and i couldn't believe i found it when i saw it i had to like triple check that i did everything right because uh it was so glaring uh we're gonna talk about that with the running game and some some qb hits stuff things like that uh mo egger is coming on we've got a new theme for how we're gonna do mo's segment we're gonna make him talk about his tweets jay
2: i gonna You'll enjoy go, that
0: every week. I'm gonna go through and pluck two tweets uh, that he has sent and make him discuss them. And I hope that it makes him think twice before he hits send. Uh, but actually, I don't. Actually, I hope he sends even worse ones now, just for the sake of knowing. I will pull them onto the show.
2: With my love of stats, I would love to know what the average number of tweets is for Mo in a given week. Oh, maybe we'll look into that. Maybe you should look into that. That Uh, feels like Jake gives himself homework
0: time on the show. (laughs) Uh, So we're we've got Mo's coming up in a little bit. We're going to talk about um, uh, play calling a little bit (laughs) Uh, in that play not calling play not calling. Uh, We've got a run passer boot. Uh, Some we're going to reveal what happened with the Bengals growler bet. Uh, which would, did not go the way we thought it would necessarily uh, on Sunday. That and much more. I want to start here, Jay. A reminder to everybody, I have good news for you. The 50% off subscription for new annual subscribers deal is got, got extended. So if you missed it and you are mad at yourself, you have more time. You can go and uh, read my story up on The Run Game, Jay's Final Thoughts, uh, my story on... Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow discussing play calling after the game. Uh, Jay, of course, had something on the defense. All that stuff is up there. Um, all the stuff that C-Trent's doing over on the Reds. Uh, Justin Williams on UC, who's coming up on one of the biggest games in their recent history against Notre Dame here in a couple of weeks. All of that under one umbrella uh, for a 50% off right now, so go and, and, and subscribe. Um, I want to start here, Jay. There's an interesting theme to these first three weeks. and there it's obvious in some ways in that this was your fear. this is this was our concern, dude. Uh, and that is this is that the line is just gonna get Joe Burrow rocked and there you don't know what you' – what do you do? You know what do you do? You just do everything you can to try to offset that, whether it's empty, whether it's running a lot and sticking with it quick game to try to avoid burrow taking a ton of hits you do that he still takes a ton of hits and but the other part is this is how their first three opponents are constituted they're all the same they are defensively strong with really good pass rushes shaky offense and they have shaky offensive of lines as well and it's kind of played itself out through the first two games. And Pittsburgh is gonna be the same way. Ferocious defense and pass rush. Their offense struggle. Once you get through these first three, I do think it clears a little bit. You know, Jacksonville, we all watch Green Bay on Monday Night Football, not get a ton of pass rush um on, on Detroit, particularly when that game was still in hand. Um, you know, Detroit, all the I do think the path clears, but it's a matter of can Burrow survive these first
2: three and the third one being the toughest. Well, I mean, he made it 10 games last year and last year it looked a lot worse, but it is. It's he the sacks, the hits, like I mentioned in the walkout on Sunday, it's it's the cumulative effect. It it starts just really wearing on a guy. And so, yeah, if if you're gonna get them and you get them early and then it, and it kind of clears, maybe that's not such a, a bad thing as opposed to, you know, later in the year when you've had a few here and there and then all of a sudden they start ramping up. That's a little more troublesome. But you don't. There's no guarantee. Just because the three defenses they face after the first three aren't getting to the quarterback as much as the, the first three are, doesn't mean they're not going to get to this quarterback. This this offensive line's got issues it has to work through, and. The, the play calling is going to be, if they're going to, if they're going to keep going to empty, it's just going to expose more and more hits. Now that you would think when you, when you go empty, it's quicker passes. You're, you're getting them out and, and you're not going to get the free runners in most case in, in those situations. Uh And and it's going to be more of a, it, it's not going to be that, that jarring shot. It, it's going to be all hits in football are hard, of course, but it's, it's going to be just getting the pressure up and, as Zach kind of alluded to in his press conference yesterday, what constitutes a hit? Is it a, a guy that comes up and tries to bat a pass down and slaps the quarterback on the shoulder? Is it taking the quarterback to the ground? It, it's the it, there's just kind of it's subjective in some regards with those things, but it does. It 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 all takes a toll and adds up.
0: Am I going to have to break out last year's scale again? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The I goddamn's. About. I mean, it was like – to me, it's how many goddams does he take? Yeah. Where it's like, goddamn, You know, and and there are plenty of those. And there were more last year in the first two games. You're right. I mean, remember, this started after that Browns game with the same mm-hmm. debate, right? How many hits is he really taking? How many is he really hitting him? How many is he kind of getting hit? How many is, you know, is he just getting tapped and they're counting that as a hit? I mean – the bottom line is this: you know the the QB hit rate um, is the same across the league, and he's getting hit the most per dropback of anybody else. The um, uh, New Orleans is very close. The New Orleans is is about is about the same. But every four point one dropbacks, Joe Burrow is taking on a QB hit. Now, other quarterbacks have gotten hit more than Burrow. He's tied for tight. There's like four teams tied for third. There's a 20 um, with the Colts, 17 Ben Roethlisberger up in there, 16 for a bunch of teams. And that's where he is was 16, but he's done it on much fewer dropbacks because they've worked so hard to try to limit that with, with the run game in particular and sticking with it a couple of weeks. And so if you look at the actual protection and, it's not happening. Now, you say we say offensive line. I do there is other. I mean, the fact that, you know, Taylor kind of said the other day, well, when you set up a receiver screen and the receiver doesn't run the screen, that's not good. That ends in a sack, right? The, I mean, the the line is releasing on purpose uh and then Burrow suddenly has nowhere to go with it. When you drop back, and your running back is right there to pick up a guy in the gap, and he whiffs, that's not good, right? I mean, that's a protection thing. When it, And the same thing happened the previous week against Minnesota. Last, Miss Minnesota, Samajay Pirine whiffs. Against Chicago, Joe Mixon whiffs. <laughs> Giovanni Bernard. <laughs> uh, I mean, when people talk about, oh, what is the value of Gio, they needed to move on. Gio didn't whiff often. If ever. And when you have running backs that are out there with him, um, this is the type of stuff that happens. You take on more hits. It doesn't mean the line has been good. It doesn't mean the play calling has been good. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. But, you know, the communication that's happening, the the tight ends and the running backs not helping. I mean, they kind of said if there's been nine sacks, it feels like we have nine different people at fault. Well, that's not good. Whose
2: fault is that? You know? Whose fault is that if everybody's screwing up? That's the whole way the offense works is if if one out of the 11 screws up, the play blows up, and so generally that is the case. Rarely do you have the same guy messing up over and over again because he's going to be out of there, but that is concerning that you have nine different guys messing up in the first two weeks of the season. Maybe it's maybe that is good. Maybe it means that that first guy that messed up, that second guy that messed up hasn't done it again. That's what football coaches say all the time. Don't make the same mistake twice. So let everybody get their mistake out of the way early. and then then you see what happens if you have repeat offenders, which I assume we will at some point. I mean, Trey Hopkins, two of those sacks clearly were on him last week. But yeah, it's it, it it's not good if you have everybody, making mistakes but if everybody makes their one and gets it out of their system then it's a little different that's a rosy view jay it is <laughs> <laughs> these Just guys play, are play not going to another mistake the rest of the season
0: <laughs> they're getting them all out now and you know what we 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 have to be careful and my and i kind of one of my points <clears throat> in this is we do have to be careful with small sample size we talked about this mm. last year there was a ton early, and then they settled down, and and you learn. You kind of sometimes have to learn the hard way what you can and can't do. And you hope it doesn't take long, but every team goes through. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks taking on a lot of punishment. I mean, half the league has double-digit hits on their quarterback. Burrow was 16 on, on in the QB hit stat. Now the Bengals lead in sack percentage by a little bit. It's too high. It's he's gotten beat up too much. There's no doubt. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of quarterbacks taking punishment. It seems like more probably because most fans aren't watching every snap of every game and scared for the life of their quarterback like Bengals fans are. And and they and it hasn't been good. And the Vikings and the Bears have got after him. And guess what? The Steelers are probably going to make it are going to make it feel worse you know but i do think you know last year they they found their rhythm with that they were able to t- to take the pressure off and 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 find ways to move the ball real well andy and get it downfield and do all those things you got to you do have to let things play out a little bit now i'm not giving it much more time i mean you know the first couple of games after you get through this first three you know jacksonville green bay it can't look the same. You know? I'll I'll point to Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Daniil Hunter and TJ Watt and Cam Hayward and those guys. But everybody has guys. Okay. They might not have those guys. They might not have that success rate. But everybody has some guys. It it better start to clear quick. And everybody's learning as they go along early season, particularly now that starters don't really play in the preseason, but this, it needs to it needs to clear itself up fast. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, how many times have we seen Bengal teams go into Pittsburgh, and you know the the game we thought Andy Dalton died on the field where he wasn't getting up. <laughs> I remember Joe He's Burrow; still, his soul might have left his body that day. <laughs> <Yeah. thing. laughs> Burrow took a beating in Pittsburgh last year and in Philadelphia last year. Um, so you you do worry about that this this coming week. Um, but I mean, there's T.J. Watt is a question mark at this point you, you they, maybe they catch a break there but it, it does it feels like it's going to be another game like sunday where low scoring a lot of a lot of pressure they have to deal with and it's that they've got to figure out a way to to do something whatever it is even to help the offensive line whether it's going less empty using tight ends to chip um, moving joe around some more screens, more misdirection, just anything they can to alleviate that pressure because it's coming and it's going to be coming hot Sunday in Pittsburgh. All
0: right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. one thing you said here i want to expound on you mentioned joe moving around more Hmm. how comfortable is he doing that right now yeah i you know to my eye and and joe i don't think would ever share this totally honestly with us and maybe he will we'll ask on wednesday but he does not look like the same willing to scramble create spontaneous scramble plays Guy that we saw last year now to be expected, right? I mean, it's the same way we talked about the first few weeks coming off of in training camp, trying to find your comfort back there, understanding that it's real. And that wasn't even real. There, there is an adjustment, a mental adjustment period to being that guy who will hop through the pressure at the line and get out to the outside and, and, and try to find and make something happen. We haven't seen that yet, partially because some of the sacks have been so fast and brutal. But I also think he's just not really comfortable doing that just yet and getting out there on the outside and scrambling. I mean, he hasn't run, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I don't see that. And I think it will come with time, absolutely. And I and I think it'll just be something he's going to have to get used to and get over in his head. And, and he's probably working on it this week, it would be my guess. But to my eye, that's not something I see is somebody who's there yet and that makes it so much harder now you have a sitting duck back there a little bit if you're not really willing to get out of there and try to scramble out of the pressure a little bit more which is what so many quarterbacks in the league are doing to avoid this stuff and it make it makes it harder and you wonder how long they're gonna kind of you're gonna fight this battle uh until burrow feels a little more comfortable scooting
2: around wiggling and scrambling out of the pocket yeah. I asked Zach about it yesterday and I, I went back, we don't go back and watch the tape. We go back and listen to the tape. And I, I regretted it was, I, I, I phrased it as a compound question. And I said, do you want to get him out of the pocket more or is this risk management? Because he's, he's not quite comfortable with the knee yet. And the, because I phrased it that way, he he didn't address the second part of it. He just said, well, we tried to get him out of a pocket and he named a couple plays where they, they did put him on the run and he hit CJ for a couple short passes. But I do wonder that if, if, like we saw in the Minnesota game, when that free runner comes and he spins out of the way, that's just self preservation, and and he he made a good play, he showed he can do it. But do you want to do it by design? Do you want to expose him? Because you go back, remember that Philadelphia game when he, that may have been the most brutal game of hits he he took last year, and so many of those were him running around in the pocket trying to extend the play, and then. The the offensive lineman just can't hold their blocks that long, and then there's somebody there to just plaster him. Um, So you know maybe that's a part of it right now, where maybe even if maybe Joe's not comfortable, or maybe Zach's not comfortable with having Joe do it just yet. They they want to wait a little longer until they they know for sure. I mean, obviously the knee is good enough to play, but you you want to give it a little more time before he is all the way back before you start exposing him because you if if you roll him out like like Zach said, you know, Khalil Mack's sitting out there, he's not going to let you move the pocket. You you roll his way and th- that's bad news, but that they, they have to find a way to do something different. What whatever it, whether it is misdirection or just the the sprint right where you're not really buying a bunch of time waiting for things, it's just getting getting out getting on the run and kind of negating the the other side of the pass rush. You, you have to figure they're going to adjust and come nobody nobody goes into this league and says this is how we're going to do it and we're going to do it all year it ebbs and it flows and teams learn how to stop certain things and you have to adjust and that's that's what's going to be the test for Zach is how does he adjust to this and get some of that pressure off of Joe that that you're not going to come up with five new offensive linemen you got to find other ways to do it scheme wise and choosing
0: really i mean to to yeah. exit the pocket i mean Design is fine and self preservation is fine, but it's a, when you have guys in your face coming, as, coming in, and do you choose to scramble out the other way or do you try to throw around them or throw away or, or end up throwing interceptions? Hmm. You know, I mean, what, do you, what is your choice when you have that, that instant to, to choose? Or just going down? You know, and so I think that's part of this. I mean, that's part of this for sure. Is is willingness to try to keep the play alive and willingness to not just go down. Not that he has a choice on, on a lot of these that have just been highlight reel type stuff for guys. But I mean, you you want to see more of that at least a little bit in some of these spots to try to create. I mean, that's part of his game. Like that was his game. That's part of his – what made him Mm -hmm. the number one overall pick. And he needs time. I totally understand him needing time for that. And I think you've got to be gentle there as far as really encouraging him to do that because he can only do that on his own mental clock. But, you know, it makes it that much harder. When, you, when, when you're when when you taking on a lot of pressure and then you feel like the quarterback's not super willing to dip out of the pocket and, and then you watch the rest of the league and there's Kyler and there's Lamar and there's all these other guys, Josh Allen, and maybe their lines are giving up a ton of pressures too, but there they go running around and finding a way to make big plays rather than just taking punishment. And uh, it, it just, you know, it makes it more a little more complicated. It makes it a little more complicated. You know what else makes it more complicated, Jay? What's that? Not taking advantage of the run game when you have opportunities. Because if you're going to take on this this idea of we can protect by, look, let's run. Our defense is playing really good, and this is going to be an important topic this week. Because I think this is going to be a game they're going to have to win like a defensive battle old-school AFC North style. Think of the War of 1812 game, uh, as it's been referred to back in you know 10 years ago, or any number of these brutal Steelers-Bengals battles that end like 16-15 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the type of game they have to win right now against a team like Pittsburgh, and I think their defense has played well enough to prove that they can. Um, but when you get opportunities to run, when the defense allows you to with a light box you have to do it here's my stats for you jay paul's got stats today (laughs) my turn thank you to uh uh our new service true media i'm able to filter every run across the league by how many defenders are in the box and and look at the league average and look at individual players the league average against light box is five or six defenders, mostly six, but there's a few of five in the box. The league average for yards per carry is understandably high, 5.34, 5.3. 4, 5.3. Uh, I also have offensive rush success percentage. How consistently is it a successful rush? Given the situation. It's a formula they use based on every situation. You know, it's a, a first down on third and two is a success. You know, at least a four yard run is a success. You know, they they judge success percentage, consistency. So you have success percentage. Average success percentage against the light box. Forty-three percent is the average in the league. So forty-three percent offensive success percentage, five point three yards per carry. Joe Mixon. In 13 carries against a light box for the first two weeks. Averaging three yards per carry and 7.7 success percentage. Hmm. Nobody is in that vicinity of the guys that have double-digit carries. Here's success percentage amongst those with double-digit carries. Antonio Gibson has 23 against a light box at 43.5. David Montgomery, and he's averaging 5.6 per carry. David Montgomery is averaging over 7 yards per carry against the light box at a 47% success percentage. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, actually is less than 3. He's struggled, but uh, he's still at 28.6% success percentage. Uh, Singletary in Buffalo, 667 success. Jonathan Taylor, 50%. Javante Williams in Denver, 36%. Daryl Henderson in L.A., 50%. All these up over 4 yards per carry, 5 yards per carry. Zeke Elliott, 60% success, five and a half yards per carry. That's these are prominent names and guys that are being utilized. Because how often you see these guys come up with they got two call two plays called <clears> at <throat> the line, right? Light box audible to the run. Gotta take advantage. Gotta punish teams in those situations. The Bengals have not. They have been abysmal failures when the defense has dared them to run. You know what they're gonna continue to do? Continue to dare them mm. to run and set up to knock Joe Burrow's block off. We talked to Zach Taylor on Monday, and, and the question was asked of him specifically. What is What do you want the identity of your offense to be? And he said, quote, that we can build off of our run game and still be able to have an efficient run game that really challenges people so they have to put extra guys in the box, then take advantage of the playmakers we have on the perimeter. That's what he wants the identity of the offense to be, and it's the one thing they're not doing. When the defense sets it up 13 times now through two games, here, have the run, Joe Mixon, they haven't had the run. They've failed. Quite miserably compared to the rest of the league. I mean, it's not even close. That is a big problem and one that they've got to fix because that can take pressure off of your quarterback. That's the whole mm-hmm. point of running it more is that you, when you do get this situation, you can take a lot of pressure off your quarterback.
2: So I'm curious if you broke it down by week, how many of those 13 runs against Lightbox was it? Was it kind of even like six week one, seven week two? Or was it a lot more this past week because it did Uh, seem like joe had success in week one much more so than this past week i did jay glad you asked me that (laughs) thank you for challenging me uh
0: he had four carries for 11 yards against the vikings against a light box so nine for 28 both bad Actually, was worse against the Vikings. There just were less opportunities. And you wonder if the Bears didn't watch that. I'm like, I don't know. They light box him four times. He didn't do anything with it. Let's do that more. Don't, be a, you know, don't put the extra guy down there. Give them the identity that they want to have. We're going to protect against these receivers and dare Joe Mixon to beat us. He's not doing it. And he didn't against the Bears. You wonder if the Steelers will do that even more. I mean, and realize, look, you're not doing your identity. You're not you're not able to execute what you want your identity to be. So we're gonna force you to be somebody
2: else and knock Joe Burrow's block off. I guess the positive side of that is that, that they did stick with it, that they they kept trying. And it almost it almost felt like in that game, you know, it was another hot Sunday. You get late in the game, and, and they they still kept running Joe. And it just felt like if he could just break one for a decent run, kind of get some momentum going there. But that is, I mean, if if they if if Chicago saw that and they're like, well, yeah, we'll we'll go light box, and if he starts beating us, we'll we'll adjust, and he never beat him, so they never had to adjust. It, it I, I mean, not only is that a very important stat that you came up with, but it's, it's really surprising to me because I, I don't think anybody. Questions: How effective a runner Joe Ber- or Joe Mixon is, and the fact that he is struggling so much against light boxes when he he had a good game against Minnesota. So most of his good runs were against a heavier box. I I don't know. I don't know how that plays in. Why that's the case. Why but, is that the case? I mean, that's yeah. my question.
0: You know, it, because you do. You look. He was very good against heavy boxes and average. You know, seven man in the box. In and then up to eight, even nine. I mean, it was very solid. I mean, over four, that mid-four range per carry, NFL average success percentage, all of that stuff that you want to see out of your run game, you've seen in every spot except the one where it should be most susceptible. And and teams are now daring you. Nine times in a game, the Bears dared them. And you get 28 yards.
2: Maybe maybe the reason he was successful against the heavier boxes is because in that Minnesota game the Bengals used a lot more twelve personnel than we've seen since Zach Taylor got here, and maybe that was part of it. You 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 put two tight ends out there, all of a sudden doesn't matter how many they have in the box. You you really open up the run game.
0: Yeah, I mean certainly. I mean there's a lot that will go into it, but the bottom line is you can't leave all that out there when you know staying in manageable situations getting momentum for drives on the ground is what offsets these the pass rush that's that's getting to burrow and ruining stuff so you know it's it's all it all bakes into part of the problem it's all part of the issues that they're working through right now but something to certainly keep an eye on as we go forward against the Pittsburgh team who's been very solid against the run and 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 get after the quarterback you know I mean it's if they're going to do the same thing you, you you have to punish them in those spots if you don't you end up days look like Sunday against Chicago
2: yep the age old football adage take what the defense gives you if they give you light boxes you better capitalize you better be able to
0: take it exactly so uh that's um an interesting set. i came on proud of jay i'm proud of myself jay I'm, I'm i'm trying i'm trying to live your life a little bit it's to- i
2: love true media we for people that don't know at the 2020 combine they had a a demonstration in Paul and I and a couple other people from the athletics sat in on it and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And I just kept waiting for the announcement that we'd signed with them and that it just recently came. So if you guys, you guys know how much I love to dig into stats. If you hit me up on Twitter, if you're like, Hey, what, what's the Bengals average in this? Or what is that? If you, you come up with a stat and I'll look it up. I, I don't want to give myself homework all the time. I'll let you guys give me some homework yeah careful you you just gave yourself homework by doing that i'm not i'm I'm gonna get to them all it's load load management but i'll pick out i'll pick out (laughs) the best ones yeah we can we can do that jay
0: jay looks up your stat of the week hey jay if people hey hey (laughs) hey, jay give me stats i mean i think i I, i'm absolutely we will if you send it we will put that in every week if you if you guys keep sending jay stats give jay homework (laughs) give Jay homework. I love it. Um, you um, let's see. Let's 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 bring in Mo here, right? It's Mo time. Yeah. Uh, and uh and then we'll 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 come back to some stuff after we get back, but it's time to it's time for for Mo to uh, talk about his tweets. So let's, let's bring in uh ESPN 1530's Mo Egger. All right, welcome back into the portion of the program where we bring our good friend from ESPN 1530 Mo Egger and, and we and Mo, I think we have a theme, you know, you can't just have somebody come on the show as a regular segment and not have some sort of you know, catchy little thing that you do, like a right. way to theme it. You so, can
1: trust you, me, you can. I, you can, I can assure you, you can, but go ahead.
0: <laughs> uh, but I think I might actually have a good one here. I All think right. what we, I think every week we're gonna bring you on to talk about your tweets. Oh man, yeah, oh, because and no. that's not, it's not necessarily gonna be in a negative way. Many weeks it will be. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I play, there's definitely gonna be weeks where we go there. But oh, no. I, it's some, it's. I just feel like one. One of them certainly will always be Bengals related. But I think after okay. that, we just go into some of the fun randomness that you like to dive into or or frustration that you maybe send out into the ether, which I also enjoy. <laughs> I particularly enjoy not watching some UC football game and just checking in on your Twitter to see what the roller coaster of emotions has been like, much like Saturday's was.
1: And it is a roller coaster. Yeah, there's, there's no denying that.
0: Watching your fun meter go up and down during Saturday's game uh, on, on on social media was quite an experience. You're
1: not exactly getting hard-hitting analysis during those games. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh,
0: no. But I appreciate it for that fact. Yeah, I appreciate sure. it for that fact. All right. So here's what we're going to start with today. Uh, this is a tweet from during the Bengals game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. An occasional
1: downfield pass <laughs> would have been nice. That's a tweet from the walkout when it was 20 to 3, right before we looked at our phones to realize, wait a minute, they they may come back and win this game. But yes, I did tweet that. And it was fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll say this. I mean, how I mean it's it's obvious
0: when you watch it, certainly in the moment, but I mean you look back on it, how much did you feel almost offended? It's it's a tough line, it's a tough balance in a lot of ways. Sure. Because would you be more offended by throwing a downfield pass or watching Burrow get decapitated in his chest once more? It's like which one which is the the you know the tougher pill to swallow
1: so as as stupid as my Twitter is, there is sometimes a strategic element to it where I make a statement that is irrefutable. I didn't say Zach Taylor should have called more downfield throws because I know it's not that simple, and I detest play calling guys. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing worse. We sat by play calling guy at the game in Chicago on Sunday. The guy who's going to oh, tell us third and eight, here's what they're going to do. Well, no, that's not what they did. So you have no idea what goes into calling a play. So it, it wasn't a, a simple Zach Taylor should have called more downfield throws. It wasn't a Joe Burrow should have chosen to throw the ball downfield more. It wasn't, it'd be great if the guys could have gotten open downfield. It was just a, Hey, Um, it, it would have been nice to have a downfield throw to maybe um, score points uh and 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 take the chicago bears out of what they were doing uh defensively. So but yeah, look, what they were doing wasn't working. This high-powered explosive offense um produced zero points in the first half, effectively three points while the game was still in hand. And and so it's not a. It's it's one thing if hey they're not throwing downfield, but you know what? What they're doing is working. They're running the ball effectively. They're clicking with the short passing game. Burrow is sharp. Guys are getting separation. Guys are getting yards after the catch. What they were doing with empty backfield, spreading everybody out. Which if if you're going to go out of your way to protect Joe Burrow, why do you have an empty backfield? That again, I'm not a play caller, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But what they were doing was not working. That was prehistoric offense in this day and age of. You know, we were looking at some of the scores and some of the statistical totals from around the NFL this weekend. And then you look at the Bengals putting up a, a donut in the first half. How, how does how does that happen? How does that happen when we, we talk all offseason about explosiveness and we got to beat teams downfield and your longest pass plays for 11 yards? That was a reflection of what was happening with the offense. It wasn't a simple, well, you know, hey, they should try to throw the ball downfield for the sake of throwing the ball downfield. It was, they're not scoring. This isn't working. Uh, we talked often this offseason about how difficult this team could be to defend. They couldn't look easier to defend, so be more difficult to, to defend by taking a shot downfield or or completing something downfield. Once you do, um, and and that didn't happen. Now, is is part of that on Joe? Sure, is is part of that on a, a function of what the Bears were doing defensively? I'm I'm sure it was is a huge part of that, a function of the offensive line being very very shaky. Yes, absolutely. But you you can't deny. That on a day in which what they were doing wasn't working, that a shot down field or two w- would have been nice to have. It might have changed things. It might have changed the, the entire complexion of the game.
2: Everything you just said, like the tweet itself, is irrefutable. But I have a quick question. Did oh, no. you say you sent that tweet on the walkout? Did you leave early?
1: Yeah, I was. Yes, it was 20 to three. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand, it had been a little bit of a long weekend. I'd gone to Bloomington for the Bearcat game, driven to Chicago. Um, I was in bed nice and early on Saturday night. <laughs> you were not. Uh, you were out with us on Saturday yeah, night. Yeah. <laughs> I, I strolled through a parking lot before the game and watched all the revelry. And then I, I went to the game and we had a long drive back. So we had, uh, I had two other guys with me. We had to go and get my goal is 20 to three. And I said out loud, if we can, if you can promise me, we will be in Indiana by the time this game ends. Let's do it. And, well, that wasn't going to happen, but, yeah. And the best part of the walkout is our our one buddy, Todd, as I look at my phone, I go, dude, it's 20 to 17, says to me, well, can we go back? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 how it works. They just, hi. Stroll back in. Yeah, here we are. So, yeah, we we I, I am always opposed to leaving early. I saw the benefits of it, but when it was 20 to 17, I was in this weird spot of, well, I want them to come back and win. It would be cool as hell if they came back and won, but I'm going to miss it. And then, so I'm going to be pissed off about that. What do we do? And obviously it was a moot point because they still lost it. All right, let's just take a quick break.
0: Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSCSIPC. SIPC. Uh, I have a second tweet that you sent uh, this, this weekend. I, I believe it was this week. It might have been Friday. But mm-hmm. uh, it was a response to one of these things that goes around the Internet daily now. Uh, that's like, say something about something to prove something. <laughs> It's like every day. It's like just in, it's like Mad Libs, internet Mad Libs.
1: Hey, well, what was one time when you did something?
0: Yeah, right. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty much every day. Yeah. And so this one was, you said. There was no greater childhood, teenage, early twenties rush for those of a certain age than successfully sneaking past the usher standing at the top of the ramp to the riverfront stadium blue seats. <laughs> you, you are not wrong, brother. I mean, no, and it felt like you needed to concoct a very complicated plan to pull it off. Like they would be, someone would scream in the corner and like act like they, you know, broke their foot, just scream ah, and just to, yeah. dra- to get the attention and everyone run past the other the other way. I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm, I can't imagine you would have come up with any of these cockamamie plans.
1: No, not me. So uh, the, the tweet was uh, it, what say something that every Reds fan will agree with. Um, and and there's a lot of those right now, but but I, I was I was looking for something a little bit more sort of non-baseball-y and I guess it's worth describing because uh, Riverfront Stadium has been uh, gone for uh, 19 years now, I guess. Uh, so if you're of a certain age, you might not know this, but there are two things. One, the beauty of going to a Reds game uh, back then was ordering by seat color. So you could walk up to the window and say, I would like four red seats, or I would like uh, two green seats. Or if you were an aristocrat and really well-heeled, I would like the uh, blue seats. Uh, and then that was, you can't do that now. Uh, I want lower field box. I mean, it doesn't, it's, it was better to order by color, but on the lower deck, the field level, the seats were blue. You couldn't just go down there. It's not like it is now where you can, you have free reign around the ballpark. So, uh, they had these these ramps that would take you down to the blue seat, and a guy, uh, usually in his mid to upper 80s, standing <laughs> at the top of the ramp. And his job was to ensure that uh, there were no scoff laws getting past him, uh, down to the blue seats. And so, he took his it, job
0: pretty seriously too.
1: Oh, often, and, and not without much friendliness there wasn't a lot of, Hey man, how you, how's your day going? No, there was, this guy was here to deny people access to the blue seats and nothing else. He was not there for small talk. So uh, it got to be a lot of fun uh, as a teenager and clear into my mid twenties. It got to be sort of a challenge. If you didn't have the blue seat ticket, how are we going to get down there? And after the age of 21, how are we going to get down there to access the blue level bar? which, you know, as a kid, wasn't a big deal. As a kid, it was, well, maybe we can get a foul ball. We can get autographs. And then once I found out about the existence of the blue level bar behind home plate, that's really all I cared about. So uh, there was nothing as exhilarating as figuring out a way to get past the guy. And there were a number of ways to do this. You could save an old ticket stub and sort of just hold it up and hope that he didn't look at the date. You could sometimes find a group of people that clearly had blue level seat tickets and just sort of jump into their group you could just make a run for it and say, "Screw it! If I get halfway down the ramp, he's not going to catch me. If he does, he's he might die." Uh, and so th- there were th- there were a lot of ways to do it. My my buddy Rich uh, sort of perfected the "What's up, my man?" and and his thing was always like, if if you say hi to somebody who's guarding a certain area they'll assume that you belong. I tested that theory. It didn't work, but he did. And it did. So I thoroughly, that became the game to me that if I, if I said to you, well, I've got yellow level tickets. If you said, yes, I'll come to the game. And by the way, whoever wanted yellow level tickets, (laughs) I've got yellow level tickets. If you came to the game with me, you knew that at some point, maybe around the third or fourth inning, we were going to try to get past the guy. And sometimes with no success, But when you got past him, there was this Andy Dufresne Shawshank type of feeling that once he's escaped from the prison, you know, that feeling that he had once you got down to the blue seats, it was exhilarating. And at that point, they they couldn't send you back. Like they, they weren't gonna walk around it. Well, I need. Or do you belong here? Once you were there, you were in. It was like getting access to an exclusive club. And there's a huge part of me that misses those days.
0: Yeah, Jay, Jay I I mostly wanted to pick this because I'm sure you have 842 <laughs> stories of the different ways that you plotted and schemed and and snuck down into the bluesies.
2: I do, and a lot were the a lot were the same as Mo, but I've got two that that worked great because. The, 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 like he said, the ushers were usually older. My go-to move was the old ticket stub, but you, again, you, you were never sure if the guy was going to look at the date or not. So headphones, you put on oh. headphones and just flash a ticket and blow by. And if he says, wait, 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 I need you just ignore him. You can't hear him. You're listening to game. You're listening to music <laughs> or whatever. And you know, they're not going to chase you Cause if he goes after you, then 10 <laughs> other people are going to go down that aren't supposed to. So that worked great. But the ultimate, and this was when I was going, I would go to games by myself, um, which is kind of sad, but that's what I did. And <laughs> the parking garage under the stadium, uh, the, the attendant left an hour after the start of the game time. So you could pull pull into that parking garage without a parking pass. And they had entrances to the stadium in the parking garage. They had turn, like portable turnstiles they set up. And when you went in that way, the ramp took you straight to the blue seats. And so you just go in there and wait. They shut the they they shut the parking garage down an hour after first pitch and they shut that they shut those gates. But people leave all the time. I never waited more than 2 or 3 minutes for someone to leave the game and once they leave the game because those doors are locked. As soon as someone opens the door to leave, you walk in, you go down the ramp and there is that little bit of uh-oh cuz as soon as you turn the corner, you you're walking down a ramp parallel to the one that's coming up from the green seats. So you you turn the corner. If there is an usher there, he could check your ticket, but that was never the case. And that was, I did that one night in 2002. That was the only time I ever caught a foul ball. I went down, sat behind home plate in the blue seats. I've had numerous foul balls that I've retrieved. I've caught, dropped, picked up. This was a Sean Casey one straight up in the air, came down, caught it, let out a huge scream because catching, Catching a line drive is one thing. Catching a, f- a foul ball that goes straight up in the air, it picks up a lot of speed coming down. It hurt, but I caught it, and that was one of those sneak-in nights. I didn't have a ticket. It wasn't like I had a. I bought a red or a green or a yellow seat and snuck down. I just walked in for free an hour after first pitch and walked out with a foul ball. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: That's pretty cool.
0: I mean, I, I got to say – I, I would actually think you could do a whole book just on how Jay got down to the blue suit. Like, and it's just every chapter is just a story of a different of a different one and, and the and the scheme he pulled. So I I, I appreciate, it. but I, I I like it. Uh, I, I plan on finding some much worse tweets from you uh, next week, Mo. We'll yeah, make sure we we dive a little.
1: Maybe well, it'll but, maybe it'll force you to tweet less. That would be good. That that would be good for me. That would be good. I think for everybody. That would be that'd be good. <laughs> Just, just gonna i just, you I just want with. you to
0: know like when you're looking at the send button be like oh this is gonna show up on monday isn't it i just know <laughs> <laughs> i love it all right mo that, thanks that for your time was,
1: that was that was tame by the standard that i i yes. feel like i've said that was that was tame it's, very tame it's, i'm
0: easing into this easing into this so uh mo i will see you for our regular hour on espn fifteen thirty, three 33 o'clock today right
1: No, I told you. Oh, you're on. You're doing
0: Lance today, aren't you?
1: Yes, I'm on tonight. You can go uh, in. You can go in. All right, well, I'll see you some other time then. You'll you'll be on with Ken Brew.
0: I'll see you some other time then, Mo.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: (laughs) Have a good one. All right, always good to bring in Mo. We will talk to Mo again next Tuesday as we, uh, you know, go through this all season and and grill Mo about his tweets and uh, get Jay's (laughs) stories of. Using he- headphones to get past the the guys in the blue seats. I mean, you've got a scheme for everything. I always appreciate that. Really, I'd like to have just Jay's favorite scheme of the week. We can just go through some of your old stories, but I don't. I don't want to get you in trouble. Some of them there's probably still lawsuits pending.
2: I had a great one to sneak into the diamond seats at GABP, but that one that one was squelched. That one is no longer possible.
0: No. Oh, so you you made them realize that they need an extra level of defense against something.
2: It was common sense. I think they just were late to stumble onto it. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll tell you real quick. Here's what was. Come on. A, a friend of mine had diamond seats, so he takes me to the game. They smoke, so we leave to go out in the parking garage, and they, they have their cigarettes, and they put a white wristband on us. And so I was like, so what do they do? Change the, the wristband every game? And he's like, nope, they've been using these white ones all year. So I was like, ding, 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 ding. <clears throat> I cut mine off, and... I would just tape it back on every game. I made sure to get the doorman's name. It was Chris at the time, so I would walk in through the parking garage like I was coming in from a smoke and say, "Hey, Chris, how you doing?" Shake his hand, walk right into the Diamond Club with my white wristband on. Amazing. I didn't fleece them. I did not fleece them for free food and free drink. I just did it to have the good seats. Um, but I went back. The first game I went back to the following year, um, I was walking through the parking garage and I saw some other people out there smoking, and they had gray wristbands, and I knew the jig was up. busted i love it though i love
0: it uh there's always something uh we've got a little speaking there's always something in your final thoughts you have a little bit more on jamar chase you 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 know this is we we spend a lot of time freaking out after losses it's worth talking about you know at this point that the explosion they did hope to get from jamar chase though, we've now seen twice they've now equaled their total number of touchdown you know of 20 plus yard passes and the touchdown passes um, of all of last year um you know and and Chase has done it in back to back weeks and that's not something we've
2: seen often yeah and people people forget that everybody was talking about why didn't they throw it down the field more and Zach said well we did there were a couple more that didn't hit they they had want Jamar Chase was behind the defender. He was yeah. open down the left sideline, and Burrow, because of the pressure, didn't get it off a. Well, it was a, it was a poor ball. It was well out of bounds. It looked like some of the some of the old AJ Andy to AJ ones where it just, there was no chance. It was just so far out of bounds. So, but he did. He got the 42 yarder. He's got touchdown now. A 50 yarder and a 42 yarder in his first two games. So I was curious how many players have done that? How many players have caught a touchdown pass in their first two games? And it's up in the, the 30 range um, where he can really make history is if he can do it this week off oh, going back. He is in Bengals history. It's only him and AJ green have done it. Ca- touchdown catch in the first two games. But I went back and looked uh, for NFL wide since the 1970 merger. How many guys have done it in three straight games? And there are eight. So Jamar chase would be the ninth and, I, I had never heard of Charlie Brown. He was a Washington wide receiver. He <laughs> caught a touchdown at his first five NFL games. And then wow. you have Marta- Martavis Bryant and Dante Stallworth, uh did it in their four first four. And then Daryl Turner, Lewis Lips, Andre Davis, Chancey Stuckey, and uh, Terry McLaurin uh, all did it in their first three. So that's, that's the company Jamar Chase can join if he can get in the end zone Sunday at, at Pittsburgh.
0: I'd like to point out that we've had a Lewis lips reference for two straight weeks. Yes. I mean, that's just, this is something, I mean, I'm going to have to, I mean, it's Steelers week too. So I'm assuming we're going to get another one next week. I I actually think we should try to get Lewis lips on at this point. (laughs) I mean, it's stunning.
2: Uh, I mean, he had a great start to his career and that's what the, that's last week we were talking about his most yards in a, in a debut. So he's not only got the yards, he's got the touchdowns.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to update the Bengals growler bet from last week. We did a total passing yard differential between Joe Burrow and Andy Dalton, and uh, there were no winners. Uh, It was plus 151 since Dalton left injured uh, and only had 56 yards uh, compared to 207 for Burrow, so plus 151. I'd like to point out that first of all, there were a lot of big numbers. I was surprised how many people were actually in that area of plus 151. None that deserve us. so close, but <laughs> still uh, up in that area, not a single soul picked plus Andy Dalton. No faith in big red, <laughs> no faith in you guys that Dalton was going to come out and have uh, a big day at all. Um, so no, no winners in the Bengals growler bet except who Jay me yeah Paul won Paul beat me <laughs> I win I win in that Bengals growler bet uh, of course we'll be hearing from uh, Mark Koboli on Thursday's podcast as we look go a little bit deeper diving into Pittsburgh and uh, what to expect from the Steelers who are who lost to the Raiders twenty six to seventeen in their home opener on Sunday and there's all kinds of problems. they've got a bunch of injuries everybody's thinking doom and gloom their offense has been pretty bad for a couple of weeks the offensive line has looked maybe worse than the Bengals which is saying something um so there is a, a lot to uh, break down between these two teams who might be probably maybe more similar to each other than either one would would like to think
2: that's Bengal fan favorite Mark Caboli no oh, we'll yeah. be talking to
0: I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how many people were like well I'm not listening Thursday <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you, you can hate listen I mean still join in yes. maybe well, he'll say something it's good information
0: it's good information Y'all for sure uh, there is no doubt um, I do have a run past her boot before we go Jay okay to, as to wet the appetite for Thursday's show you know the Ravens were supposed to be the team that's gonna be it's just the year of injury for them and it's gonna doom them and then they beat the Chiefs on Sunday night uh, in impressive fashion Thanks to Lamar Jackson and his flip and a number of other things. And a fumble. And the Browns, we know what they are. I mean, they were right there with the Chiefs and then get a expected win against the Texans. And, you know, what well, we know what the Steelers can be. And I already have a win against the Bills in Buffalo. How many division wins will the Bengals get in twenty twenty one? Of course, six opportunities the options are zero or one two or three plus three or more.
2: I was on the two and four, three and three train early um, before the season started. And there's really nothing to change my mind so far, but that makes it hard because two is one thing and three is another. Um, I'll run I'll run with two pass on three or more and boot zero or one
0: I mean it's going to be a big deal whether they can or not and I, I mean even last year and I think they the gap has at least closed some I mean you look they have a win against Pittsburgh they should have beat the Browns the second time in the Donovan People's Jones over Darius Phillips game you know you're you're right there. Um, you you feel like you're better. So I I tend to think that you're right in running with two. I just you know to me the question is what are you passing on you three or zero to one? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think Pittsburgh is going to be a telling one. Uh, but I'll I'll I will. I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna pass on zero to one. I shouldn't. This is kind of me going against my own advice to bet against Joe Burrow, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna boot three plus. I just the division is just so tough. The division is so tough, and you just look what the Ravens have been and what the Lamar Jackson has historically done to the Bengals, um, even though they had some success bottling him up after his injury last year in Baltimore. I mean, it's just, it just—it just seems like it's going to be an uphill battle in this division. It's just—it's just tough.
2: Yeah, I, I just—I mean, they broke the Pittsburgh curse last year. They—they, um, they, you mentioned it, the Donovan People Jones. They're, they're one throw like that away from beating Cleveland. I don't think. I mean, from what we've seen early this year, the the games against the Ravens could look like the Bengals Browns games last year, where they're just wild shootouts. Um, as opposed to what it looked like last year with the Baltimore defense, just destroying this Bengals offensive line and, and getting to burrow in that first game. And then just the domination in the second game. Um, I, I, I could see them splitting all three of those games. Um, I, I don't think there's a team in this division that you say uh, no chance. They, they, they're not going to beat them. They're, they're, it's a definite Oh and two. So I, I, a split with all three teams gets you to three and three. I think any Bengal fan would take that at this point.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely they would. Three division wins. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> hasn't been a whole lot of that happening in the last couple of years no. uh I, I i two and four feels right though like two and four just yeah. feels feels like where where this thing ends up uh but so we'll, we'll obviously talk a lot more about the division and the pittsburgh steelers on thursday uh as mentioned we'll have mark caboli and we'll have uh, a couple of days of interviews uh to react to uh, including talking to Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor again uh, on Wednesday. So keep an eye out uh, for all of that. Again, a reminder, you can go and subscribe. Our 50% off deal has continued. Just go to any of our links. You can go find us on Twitter. Just go to theathletic.com and go to our Bengals stories. Um, and uh, you can subscribe there and get 50% off for the next year. Highly recommend it. All right. Uh, that'll wrap us up. Thanks to everybody for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Hear that podcast crowd. Have a good one, everybody.